Well, good morning again. Welcome to the Springs. All right. I said good morning. I was just waiting for that response. If you're visiting, uh, I'm Peter. I serve as the lead pastor here. And we are in week four of Overboard, our study in Jonah. Now, it's been said that with great power comes high electric bills. But today we're going to talk about a different kind of power. We're going to talk about the power in repentance. The power in repentance. We're in Jonah 3, and just to recap, Jonah 1 through 2 uh, gets right out of the gate, and God says, hey, Jonah, you should go up here to Nineveh to preach the message of repentance to the Ninevites, the, the Assyrian nation. And so Jonah decides to do the exact opposite of what God told him to do. He boarded a ship to Tarshish and rebelled against God. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I have never boarded a ship to Tarshish. But I have often heard God speak very clearly about doing one thing and chose to do the opposite thing. And I think you have too, because I have a little bit of an understanding of human nature. And I know some of y'all. But here's the thing. All of a sudden, Jonah finds himself being the one in need of the message of repentance. And God was faithful to send him that message through a big storm that overtook his boat, eventually being thrown overboard, swallowed up by a fish, spit out on land. And that's where we find Jonah in chapter 3 of his own book, Jonah I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet to honor God's word. We're going to read the entire chapter of Jonah, chapter 3. It starts like this. So here's Jonah with fish guts all over him, and all of a sudden it says this in verse 1. Then the Lord, the word of the Lord, came to Jonah the second time. Everyone say, the second time. Good job. Thanks for your help. The second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, The message I tell you. So he gets a little more specific here. Verse 3, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse 5, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. This is a sign of mourning, grief, repentance. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and with ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published through all Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them come out, call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Thank you. Y'all can be seated as we pray. 
Lord, thank you for your word. Turn our eyes to see the greatness of who you are in your word today. And in your light to see everything else as it truly is. Amen. There is great power in repentance. We just witnessed a scene of over a half a million people repenting from one anointed warning from a very flawed preacher. I can relate to Jonah as far as how he was messed up like I messed up. God still gave him a job to do. And you know what? It was fruitful. Repentance. There's power, great power, in repentance. What I want to do with our time today, I want to develop this theme of repentance. In essence, what is it? Repentance is a very important theme that I want to, I want to develop and then go back through this chapter and see that if we can shed light on some of the things that we just read, the strangeness and wonderfulness of this anointed mourning and grief. There's power in repentance. Now, first of all, let's develop what repentance is. Repentance is actually not a word specifically spoken. We'll see in a minute that Jesus spoke the word about this chapter when he was commentating on it. But the word repentance is not given. We need to develop what repentance is and what these people turning to God, mourning their sin is from really, it's a, it's a major theme in all of the Bible. And this right here, Jonah 3, is one of the most powerful, one of the most historic and treasured moments of repentance in all the Bible. So if you look from Old Testament, where repentance is spoken of in, in the Hebrew language, to the New Testament, the, a theme that, that is huge in the Bible and runs throughout the whole story of how Jesus made us and redeems us, which is the story of, of his book, the Bible, this thing, repentance, is a powerful theme that's important for us. I pray that we can understand what's going on here with Nineveh and dare to apply it to what's going on with us. Imagine what the world would be like if we dared to do that, if all of us did, like Nineveh did. Repentance. Here's a working definition that I've worked up going from Old Testament to New Testament, using all the words. A definition, that's my definition. It's not the Bible's, it's mine, of repentance. Trading up. Repentance is training up, trading up or turning from something lesser to something greater. It's a turn from something not as valuable and good and enjoyable to something more valuable, in this case, infinitely greater. It's a good exchange. It's trading something lesser for something greater. It's trading up. I've had many of a conversation with Christians that ensues from something that goes like this. I'll be in a conversation and someone will say, hey, I've, I'm a Christian, I've fully repented. Or I've repented. And I, I often say, okay, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by you've repented, you're a Christian? And invariably, this often happens. Someone says, especially young men, uh, okay, well, I've repented. That means I've, I, you know, no more drinking, no more smoking, and no sex. And I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, that's part of it. But what you just described could also be a corpse and not necessarily a Christian. 
Dead people don't drink and smoke and have sex. There's something greater in repentance. It's not just what we turn from. It's what we turn to. Repentance is trading up. It's an empowered resolve that's supernatural to say yes to something great. And in the road to that, an empowered rejection of lesser things. But listen, there is no power to do so without what we are trading up for. And so often we can reduce repentance just to the things that we're avoiding. Let me give you a a small illustration of repentance. Uh, Two weeks ago, my mom was in town, and my lovely wife, Elise, and I, we got to go out for one of the first times to, on a date for the first time in a while. And uh, my mom stayed home with all the little deuce animals, my little kids. My last name is Dusan, little deuce animals. Uh, and she stayed home, and I was kind of getting things a little bit cleaned up for, for us to go out. We were going out to a Japanese steakhouse near our home. It was really exciting. I was pumped for it. I was, I was saving up the power to just, you know, eat a lot of food. I was stretching. I was getting ready. And I was cleaning up the house a little bit, and I, and I saw a little goldfish on the ground, those little snacks that my, my kids eat. And I picked it up to throw it away, and it had to be there for days. There's some grime on it. But you know, I had this small inclination. Come on, don't judge me, because we've all been here. Just something very, something very simple. I, I was about to stick that sucker in my mouth. Now, would that be wrong? Yes, yes, it would be wrong. We need to establish this. Yes, it would be morally wrong, even though it doesn't say it in the Bible. But listen, not just wrong in light of, you know, when's the proper time to eat goldfish, but wrong in light of the fact that I had something better waiting for me, a promise of a greater meal. And even though my basic inclination in the basic area of my flesh said, shove that sucker in your face... In light of what I was awaiting, I could see it for the garbage that it was and therefore placed it in the garbage. I believe that's repentance. Repentance is trading up. It's so much like how Jesus sets us free to see not just my bad versus your your bad, Republican bad versus Democrat bad, right versus left. No, there's something greater. Where's the amen on that? We need an amen right now, okay? Not going in that direction too much, but we need to hear that. There's something greater than the garbage on the left and the garbage on the right. There's a greater meal that awaits us all. And repentance is awaiting on Jesus for a pure, a holy thing that's even better than Japanese steakhouse. But it's a picture of that. We turn from our wickedness and only in light of the goodness of being uh, able to experience the joy, the unspeakable of joy of being in right relationship with an extravagant, unspeakable God like Jesus. Only in light of that will we see all the lesser things for the garbage that it is and therefore be able to turn from that to relationship with him, to do it once and forevermore. Repentance is trading up. And you know, it's a process of always trading up more and more. You know, the enjoyment that we find in Jesus just eats all other lesser enjoyments for lunch. Repentance is turning from that. Now listen, repentance is a miraculous turn. 
You know, it's easy to, with my mind about me, to be like, oh, wait, this is a grimy goldfish. I need to stick it in the garbage. I understand that it's not so simple when it comes to the real fears and the real worries. We need supernatural help to see the grimy, dirty things of sin to turn from in light of something so much better. It's a miraculous thing. Repentance is the miracle that Jonah is speaking about, I believe, in this whole book, the miracle of repentance. I think Jesus agrees with me, and I try to do my best to make sure I see everything through his eyes when I read the Bible or anything else. Jesus, you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew 12, he's commentating on the book of Jonah, and there were uh, religious people that were obsessed about all sorts of signs and miracles and experiences, anything like us. And here's what Jesus said. He said, An evil and murderous and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Verse 40 of Matthew 12. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment in this generation to condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So the first thing here is, Jesus is putting to bed this weird thing about, did a fish really eat a guy, and the guy survived? And did that really happen? And Jesus said, yeah, it really happened. But if you think that's crazy, something crazier is shown by what that concealed. He's saying that there's a greater miracle that it alludes to. The fact that I will be three days dead in a grave and then in a moment on Sunday morning, not dead anymore. And the miracle that Jonah conceals and that Jesus' resurrection reveals produces a power in repentance. That's why he says the men of Nineveh will rise up. The heart of it is this, is that Jesus alone empowers us to trade up. Jesus alone secures us to make a better trade, to make good exchanges, not just try to be a little bit better of yourself, but to fundamentally, miraculously have something much greater than the things that we're accustomed to, the things that we can choose on our own. It's a miraculous exchange. There's power in repentance. Now, in my own life, I look back and you know, Jesus helped me come to repentance through the preaching of some young folks in my campus ministry in high school. And that's where repentance started 19 years later. Uh, I'm still uh, empowered by Jesus to make trades and trade up today. And uh, in high school, it's just, it shocked me, this whole power in repentance that, you know, I still had some sinful desires even after seeing a miracle of Jesus making my, my mind new, regenerating me. Literally, I, I was made new and yet still needing to make trades with the newness of life that I had. And even though I had miraculous power and signs that I saw, the sign of repentance, the empowerment to make trades of the lesser desires for greater desires was one of the most shocking experiences I've ever, ever witnessed in my own life. I remember going to Bible studies, growth groups with, 
with other young men. And it was so strange to me that I didn't have to hide and, and pretend like I wasn't really thinking the things that I was really thinking. Anyone ever been there? There's freedom. There's power in repentance. If you've never had a growth group where you can be honest with people and they, there's, there's judgment. There's a godly judgment of the lesser things without there being a judgment of you. But because we're together, we're trading for something better together. It's a team sport. If you've ever been in that, in that place, it's amazing. I, I didn't have to like hide, like, uh, here's what I'm thinking, and this is what I see, and this is how I see young women. And, and, and you know, there was these guys, they weren't, they weren't shocked. Like, don't tell me what you think. Do you really think that? Do you really look at women like that? No, don't, you can't be here in our growth group anymore. You need to leave so that we don't start you know, wanting the sin that you have. That wasn't going on. There was no fear that they would start wanting my sin because the Bible says there's life and death and the power of the tongue. And when I was able to confess my sin in light of what we were trading up for, it was shown to be the garbage that it was. And Jesus was able to, to see us as a group of men make exchanges with a holy exhilaration and a better adrenaline rush than all the other things that we tried to titillate ourselves with. There was a greater pleasure available to us that we could trade up for. And in light of that greater pleasure, the things that we thought were so fun and cute were the garbage that they were shown to be. Instead of just arguing my garbage versus your garbage, there was an ability to express and confess sin and make trades for something that was all the more holy. Jesus isn't intimidated by your sin. Because he knows there's something better for you. And if you would see and savor it, he'll empower you to make good trades in the context of other people. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says about our sinful desires. He was a 20th century author and apologist. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Talking about our sinful desires. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Repentance is finding greater pleasure in Jesus than we could ever find in anything else which categorically is everything else, is lesser than the pleasure and exhilaration you find in Jesus. Don't take my word for it. Dare to trade up. I dare you. In this church, we like to say more Jesus because it's really the heart of repentance. What I need, what the guy out there needs, what the people around you at your work, what your family needs, what we all need is to trade lesser things that we might be worried about that might be in the news, that might be in our, our budget statements, on our spreadsheets or our apps, or the, the, the things that might get our attention on our iPhones. And we need to take those things and hold them out in light of the amazing thing offered to us and see that in light of what Jesus offers us, they're mud pies. I mean, let's build an extreme for a second. Hugh Hefner has his Playboy mansion and what he desperately needs is the riches that I have available to me that I'm trading up for every day. You know, he, 
he fools around with all the, he has all the variety of women in his Playboy Mansion, right? And you show that, it shows that it's never enough for him because he always needs more variety because it never satisfies. And he'll never gain freedom from repentance. A lot of people running from God, like I used to run from God, think that we can get freedom from the restrictions of religion and repentance. But there is no freedom from repentance. In Jesus, it's freedom through repentance. And no matter what people run after, Jesus is verifiably always the greater pleasure. And we all need more of him. What we all need is to trade up. So, how does repentance play out in this chapter with our time remaining? How does repentance play out? How does trading up play out? I'm going to go through it just from the start to the finish and show, first of all, that, that Jonah, the, the deliverer of the, of the message of repentance and trading up, he first needed to receive it. Secondly, we'll show that it's the thing that you're trading for that they, they reached after. I'm going to show you that the, that the Ninevites weren't just turning from sin, that they were actually they were aiming for something they found in the presence of, of this message. And then, and then thereby, at the end of the chapter, you'll see that they actually did have to turn away very conscientiously and painfully from a lesser thing, okay? So first of all, let's go to verse one and see that the, the person who needed this message most fundamentally was Jonah himself. Verse one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time came to him a second time. How good is God? How many of y'all have ever had, you don't have to raise your hand, but you can be real if you want. God God says something and you fail to do what he tells you to do. That's me and everyone else. It's all of us and then some of us are lying about it, so you're doing that right now. (laughs) How good is God that a second time he affords us He gave Jonah his second time, and he even gave stricter boundaries. Not just warn them, but do exactly what I tell you. And Jonah had some understanding, like, I don't like being in fish, and uh, I'm going to do what he says. And some of us have our own equivalent of the fish in our past. Thank you, God, for a second time. He gives us restoration of of the mission. So listen, here we go. We're, We're talking about repentance and him going to a city and telling them to trade for lesser things and the evil and the wicked of your hands for a greater thing available to you. But listen, the guy who was preaching the message of repentance was the guy that was walking in repentance. And that needs to be us too. There's no shame in that. That's, that was God's plan. Today, I know I'm speaking to all sorts of people. Maybe there's people in this room who maybe have never quite heard the message of repentance and maybe, maybe it's the first time where Jesus has illuminated your heart to really hear the word of God. And maybe today for you, this is your first day to ever actually functionally respond to the message of repentance. But I also know that there's a lot of other people here who, who've heard about repentance before. And the trade is still ever before you. And there's even a, a group of people in here that are helping me with this message throughout the week, are we not? I know that in this room, there's 25 growth groups represented. And leaders of these 25 growth groups that are here and you're wanting to go and preach the message of repentance to people you love. You're praying for people on your VIP prayer list. 
And you're in, in need of repentance too. In fact, there's specific things that God has, has said, you failed right there, right, right that place that you don't want to talk about, and it hurt. And I am exposing that and giving you a second chance in that area. And God's mercy on you is very painfully specific as you go to preach to others. Charles Spurgeon in his commentary, 19th century preacher uh, in Britain, his commentary on Jonah, he says, the grace of God not only restores a man like Jonah, generally as it were, but renews him to the very point which he had sinned and failed. Take courage then. You who are beset with some special sin, let us learn from the long catalog of those who have fallen and yet been recovered to hope for ourselves. So if you're desiring to be used by God to effectively preach the message of repentance, of trading up to the circles around you, if you're desiring to, uh, to convert others, which is a godly desire, call it what it is, if you're desiring to preach repentance, don't ever for a minute think that you don't need it or be ashamed about the fact that you're still making trades and there's still more of Jesus to be treasured by you and therefore lesser things that get in his way that painfully have to come to a breaking point in your life. Never be ashamed of that. In fact, your most anointed place, no matter how far you've come in this, might be just your awareness that, you know what, Jesus is the protagonist of my life and not me. And I can be free to make good trades today, even as I'm out there trying to get others to do it. You're not the hope, and neither am I. Jonah needed this message. He was able able to preach two hearts because he was preaching from the heart in a very specific, painful area. And he preached a message of repentance. Now, it's amazing how the Ninevites received this. They received the message of repentance, the, the, the trading up. We'll see that they traded to something greater and therefore from their wickedness. But listen, I think what they traded to comes up first here. Verse 5, it says, The people of Nineveh believed God. Now, in my opinion, I don't think that they can believe God or believe in God without actually having a faith in him. Now, you can believe that you're going to be destroyed, but I don't think anyone ever believed God and turned to place their faith in God simply out of a fear of impending doom. They had to see that there was an amazing mercy available to them from a holy, righteous God who could have killed them and should have. And in light of his mercy, love, and grace, they saw their wickedness for what it was. And therefore, they believed God. But don't just take my word for it. 16th century church reformer John Calvin says that Though the people of Nineveh were aware that they were most worthy of death, they despaired not, but betook themselves to prayer. They must therefore have derived derived more advantage from the preaching of Jonah than mere knowledge that they were guilty before God. You see, they believed God. Listen, you can't drive someone to Jesus just out of fear of 
being without him for eternity. Now maybe awareness of, of the sin that we commit and the death that it deserves, that's helpful in developing a faith and a love for the merciful one. But listen, they turned to God. You can't turn away from sin unless you turn to a very specific and merciful God. You can't trade away something lesser unless you receive something greater and trade up. But finally, what we see here is the opposite is very much true. You can't turn to God without first necessarily turning from the lesser things. And when, it, when we're saying turning, it is a trade that is a violent, grievous trade. Let's see just the utter grief in these people again. Uh, it says that the word reached the king of Nineveh. He arose and went to his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes, issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let no one eat or drink, no flock or anyone. Fasting, grief, mourning. I think today people would try to medicate him. What's wrong with you? It's okay. Think positive thoughts. No, he had to grieve his sin deeply. He had to hate his sin. You know what? Hatred is essential in the Christian faith. I have four kids. I love them very much. I have to protect them. And therefore, I have to hate certain things that could harm them. That's why I lock the door at night. I love them. I love God And sometimes there's a very specific hatred that has to come my way for things that I do and I think and reactions that I have. Hatred is essential. They hated their sin. They mourned their sin. Hate is not the opposite of love. Hate is a part of love. If you don't hate your sin, you're never going to trade away from it to something greater. You're never going to repent if you don't hate your sin. I love what Paul says in to the Corinthians. He had written them a very scourging letter, uh, which could have been 1 Corinthians or another one in between 1 and 2 Corinthians. But in 2 Corinthians, he's talking about how he wasn't super popular for a while because he preached a message of, of sin and hatred for sin, and there was some severity in his words, but they had repented. And in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians uh, 7, it says, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, what eagerness to, to clear yourselves and indignation, what fear and longing and zeal, what punishment. Those don't seem like positive words until you're painfully acquainted with the things that seek to destroy you. If you're aware in light of the goodness of God, of sin for what it is, you're more eager to love God and thereby trade away, trade away the things that are evil and wicked. Sin is not just kind of nice little habits that we need to do away with. I think often we treat sin like a, a, a small thing, kind of like a, 
like a habit, like biting my nails. You know, I, I, sh- I, ne- I really need to stop doing that. I've actually seen young men treat pornography addictions like that. You'll be counseling them, and they almost, they're like, yeah, I don't want to look at porn, because who, who would say, yeah, porn's a good thing that, that's good for us, except for an increasing amount of, of psychologists today. But who in regular culture would say, yeah, pornography, great. No, no, no. He says, no, pornography is bad. But my problem is this, is there's no hatred. It's kind of like a preference to not keep doing it. Like, I don't want to keep biting my nails because, you know, that's not productive. And that's kind of like a habit I want to get over. If things like pornography addiction are treated like habits that I'm trying my best to get over, but no big deal, you know. And they're treated, they're treated with the type, or, or, or even like a, a worldly grief, which is just mad that I got caught. If there's no real grief and indignation, it'll never be repented of. It'll never be traded for something better. And in light of what Jesus has called us to when he says, young man, I've secured for you an exhilaration, a holiness, an expression of your sexuality that goes way beyond your sexuality, something that you can find a joy, a holiness in marriage, a companionship that secures you for a greater adventure in life to waste not your life before you die and have fun all along the way and see beautiful babies arise from it. If, If God can help us to see the mercy available to us, despite the fact that we defile the things he's preserved for us, we can thereby say, God, can I, can, can I trade this? Can I grieve this? Can I hate this? And then when in light of that good thing, we're made to see this thing for what, is it, what it is, this disgusting system that enslaves young children at a greater degree than any slavery has ever in, captured a society. If we're able to see that I'm, I'm contributing in my little nail-biting, what I think is nail-biting, to a system that is locking seven-year-old girls up and contributing to a, a, a societal issue that's not only destroying marriages, but destroying little beautiful people with a proportional rise to pornography and child porn. If we could see the the glory that Jesus has called us to, and in light of that, the thing that we can hate and the mercy that's available to us. Now look, I wasn't trying to maybe go that deep into porn, but I hate it. And I hate how I have allowed my eyes to be defiled by lesser things. I don't just hate those people out there, the porn industry. I hate my sin because God has caught me and he's given me a grief that's better than just, I'm, I'm bummed that I got caught. Like someone catching me biting my nails. No, he's given me a grief that, you know, I've contributed to a spirit of lust that is rampant in the earth. And I have available to me the power to see him purify me of all people. And I know my own impurity. And the power to live a godly life and to love my children and my wife. Now, in light of that, repentance is something more than just saying no to a bad habit. You can't turn to God 
without turning away with indignation from the things that would destroy. Now finally, the last thing it says here, which is intriguing, is this, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he would do to them. I think that's the story of all of our lives. If you have the gift of even knowing the name of Jesus, this is your story, verse 10. And contextually, when you look through the rest of the Bible, it's not just that he relented from sin. He, he delayed his judgment to a future day. A Friday, to be exact. When he reserved the wrath that is due to all humanity for what the Ninevites did, what I've done, for the defilements of the lesser things, and how it really messes me up and messes everyone else up. And he said, I will put the wrath and the justice due to all of humanity down to one person who doesn't deserve it. My very son, who I'll hang on the cross, I will put the wrath of everything that is deserved by all these people on him. And on a Friday, Jesus willingly took that wrath on himself, went to the cross. And on that same weekend, that Sunday morning, he rose again from the dead, securing the power for us to be able to turn from lesser things and not just talk about repenting, but live out the power found in repentance. You stand to your feet with me, please. Now, if you've never traded your life the way it is, the best that you can live your life for something greater that Jesus has for you, I want to encourage you today. It's scandalously simple. You can just say, Jesus, please make me new. And because he's paid the, he's paid the price to do that, he can, he can do that. You don't, you don't have to put on sackcloth or even know what that is. You can just say, Jesus, I mourn who I am without you. Make me new. Even as we're closing, just say, Jesus, make me new. And you know what? The Bible says you can become a Christian just by calling out to Jesus. You can walk in the power in repentance. But for all of us, I want to ask you, what, what is God calling you to trade and to mourn and and why? What is the better thing he's calling to you? For me, I see the look on my kids' faces when I, when I look on them in anger. And I, and I have moments of impatience with my three, two, or one-year-old. And it's not just a thing, oh, I need to get out of that habit. Or, or I'm afraid if anyone from the church saw me with this, it's, God, I need you to fundamentally change my habits and my impatience. What, what is it for you? Worry, fear, what are the lesser things that you're weighed down with? Take a moment to just consider what are the lesser things that I can surrender and trade? Now, let's consider what we're trading for. Let's turn our eyes to the beautiful, matchless face of Jesus. 
I want to do this. I want to sing the refrain from Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And even as we're singing this, we'll go through it a few times, sing to yourself, tell yourself, command yourself to do the words that you're singing, to turn your eyes upon him. Can you sing with me? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Lord, thank you for the greater thing that you offer us when we are often beset with lesser things. Lord, thank you for the power of repentance, the trade that's available to all of us. Help us to see things and the worries and fears and sin in light of a greater thing and be amazed that I can breathe today and I don't even deserve that. Help us to make good trades that honor you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, as we dismiss, one last thing. Uh, be praying for our, our campus ministry. Uh, they are going to be at a conference this next weekend in Nashville. Who's going to Nashville next weekend? So that's a lot of folks. Be praying for them They're, for safe travels. Be thinking of them. Uh, we're going to be missing y'all, but, but excited about what you're getting and bringing back. Uh, If anyone else needs prayer for anything, we'll be available for you up front. We're dismissed.